Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into Designing Futures. I am Angela Yeh, career coach, talent strategist, design recruiter, public speaker, and founder of Yeh Ideology. Today, we're going to be joined by four design firm founders and leaders, people who view change as an opportunity to innovate. And now, post-pandemic, now is there ever an opportunity to innovate. If we have learned anything from 2020, it's that change will continue to define our lives. Through this conversation with Gregor Mittersink, Marco Perry, Louis Alt, and Fanon Begley, we will be learning how to position ourselves and our business for success during change, to be the ones able to take our clients through that change. Now, we've talked to a whole bunch of people who are on the corporate side inside larger organizations, right? But we now, um, we've got people who are leading design consultancies and agencies working with businesses as an outside catalyst to help so many businesses who are not able to have their own design teams just yet. Um, Lewis has been pioneering in the service design field in South America for over a decade. As a founder of LiveWork Sao, Sao Paulo, the South American branch of the world's first service design agency, Lewis has headed innovation and service design projects for organizations like, it, I hope I'm pronouncing these correctly, Itau Bank, Latam Airlines, uh, yeah. Airlines, Whirlpool, AB InBev, Petroba, uh, Bus, Natra, and Roche. Uh, pharmaceuticals. He created the first design thinking course in Latin America at ESPM, wrote the best-selling design thinking Brazil um, book, and has been lecturing in postgraduate masters and doctorate programs in institutions such as Parsons New School, Universidad Catalica in Chile, Federal, uh, Federal University of Santa um, Catarina, uh, Catarina, and Catarina, um, yes and FAAP Business School. <laughs> Thanks Great. for joining us, Lewis. Thank um, you, Ainge. And then a new friend that I've met on Clubhouse is Vinam Bagley. Vinam's a partner and creative director at Nonfiction. Just absolutely love the name of your firm. Uh, a San Francisco-based design firm that turns science fiction into reality for a better future. She's a She's a French industrial designer and space architect with 15 years of experience creating cutting edge hardware in wearables, audio, neurotechnology, biohacking, healthcare, education, sports, transportation, and aerospace. She specializes in turning groundbreaking technologies into attainable, intuitive, and beautiful products that help humans become the best versions of themselves. Bonam works with a variety of companies from Fortune 500 to startups covering four continents, Clients include Intel, Comcast, Facebook, Atari, Philips, Movida, Hollow, Neuroscience, and Kala Health. Um, she speaks internationally on the subject of design for a better future, covering stories of sustainability, design thinking, education, and human flourishing. Uh, thank you, Anam, for joining us. Thanks for having no me. Um, also have another long-term friend of mine, Marco Perry. Um, I think, I, Marco, I think I remember when you began Pensa. 
I just, I can't believe, how many years is that now? 20, oh, is it in your bio? Wow. Um, Marco is a founder of Pensa. He's an information sponge addicted to the new and tech blogs and audiobooks. He has over 20 years of experience inventing, designing, and engineering just about everything from diapers to digital fabrication tools, connected IoT devices, and solar chargers. He has the rare ability to synthesize vast amounts of technical information and guides his team to translate into real solutions that work for people. Marco has won and earned numerous awards, including multiple IDA, ID, IDSA, IDA of gold, IIDEX, Neocon Gold, Architect, uh, how do you pronounce that? Architizer A, Fast Company Innovation by Design, Core 77 Design Award category winner in Chicago um, Anthem Gold, uh, Good Design Awards. Um, beyond his consulting, Marco has contributed to the design community, including lecturing, mentoring young engineers, organizing design conferences, and starting new ventures such as Pencil Lab. DIYer. Thank you, Marco, for joining. Um, Gregor, another dear friend from years. And actually, Gregor was um, wonderful enough to uh, round out our summit, design summit last year as our DJ. And I realized, oh my God, we have to have you on the panel this year. Um, Gregor is, Mittersink is the principal and co-founder of Loft LLC, a mechanical engineer and human factors industrial designer by training. Gregor brings over 25 years of experience in translating consumer needs to product features, product implementation, manufacturing and commercializing products designed to manufacture in markets such as chemical and biological defense, computing devices, medical devices and wearables. Loft is an integrated UX, ID, ME, medical products development consultancy and they're a capable partner to develop effective solutions to their unique and often varied development changes. Um, Loft's expertise includes an array of strategic research, planning, conceptualization, design, and engineering services. Um, their development team are typically compromised of HFE researchers, ID, UX designers, EE, FWME engineers with additional personnel and disciplines. Um, they've won numerous awards in IDSA, IDA awards, Red Dot, Good Design, Core 77, written up in magazines, um, IDEA, Wired, Fast Company, and they hold over 100 patents for product innovation around the globe. Um, Gregor, thank you so much for being part of the conversation today. Sounds fancy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I love this panel discussion because there are so many, for every corporation that has built and invested in a design team, and it takes a long time for corporations to, to build a design team, before they even get to that point, you guys are, um, you all are, are there at the forefront working with companies that, you know, have a business, whatever it may be, a product, a service, um, digital, physical, and all of a sudden they realize they can't get beyond point, you know, B to get to point C, right? Um, would love to just start off the conversation by asking you, and particularly around today in this pandemic, what are the types of challenges that businesses have and how do you guys as consultancy owners, how do you support them, right? How do you help them 
Gregor. Uh-oh, putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, I think, you know, so our business has changed fundamentally, I would say, through the pandemic as um, we are much more digital and we are much more met, met device lab tech because I think folks in that space, first of all, you know, COVID kind of became a real driver for innovation in, 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 in startups, medical startups and medical, more established medical players. Also the FDA loosened, you know, telemedicine guidelines, uh, loosened kind of time to market emergency use authorizations became fairly common. So a lot of, you know, innovators in the field uh, could leverage that kind of a gap to market very effectively to come up with new solutions and really establish themselves as players in the marketplace. At the same time, you know, most consumer clients of us were in a kind of hold and wait situation. So they were like, hey, all these things we wanted to do with you last year, next year, we'll do them a year later, you know? so. It was definitely like a fundamental shift. I would say I've heard, talked to a bunch of folks in kind of the design service industries, and I think everybody saw that. Um, you know, medical moving ahead, kind of accelerating their innovations, um, and then the consumer clients um, kind of you know holding holding out and waiting what would happen afterwards as the market kind of came back. It's interesting uh, because you I think about medical, and it takes so long traditionally. So that's an interesting shift. But, what were but you going to say? This, this was this was a unique opportunity for a lot of folks, right? I mean, you worked on, yeah. on you know uh, lateral fl assay flow kits and all kinds of stuff that was related, and it was really you know there was a narrow window to get it out, basically, right? So it made a lot of sense. Yeah, I concur with what just, uh, Gregor just said, especially in telehealth. Um, we had worked in telehealth before, but things have accelerated so incredibly uh, in hardware, software, and, and everything that surrounds it. And also behaviors, the um, adoption uh, for, for B2B, B2C um, uh, solutions is, is a lot higher now than ever. And kind of related to this um, remote uh, access to technology is education. The world of education, access to support for teachers, for students, for schools in general, all over the world. Everybody's looking to new solutions that go beyond just putting you know, people in front of screens and uh, make do for, for, for classrooms. Um, we, all of this is forcing all of these industries to change radically. I can add the space industry to that. You know, you, you've probably seen in the, in the last few years, and even this week, uh, a, a lot of things radically changing about the way we see it. Space used to be inaccessible to us, and now we're starting to see a glimpse of it being part of our future. Um, so, and and you know, one one last industry um, I like to point out is sustainability. Um, a lot of people have gone through um, existential crises. Uh, during this time, you know, kind of asking themselves, why am I doing this? Why am I doing the same thing again and again? And why am I polluting or influencing others to pollute even more? Um, and and how how can I change that? So we've we've had a lot of clients come to us and say, now is the time to change our behaviors, to change our decision making. And, um, and, and, you know, influence the rest of the industry to do the same thing. Yeah, no, and, very nice. Uh, uh, are you listening to me? Can you hear? Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I, I was going to, ch to say that the, the, the challenges, they, they can kind of continue the same. So when the pandemic hit, uh, I was really worried about uh, the con continuous of 
like the business and how we would continue to get projects and you know sustain the business uh, and i started thinking about okay as a service design so we we help companies to think about what they offer to clients and how they establish relationships with their clients uh, organizations um, and fundamentally it, it have it hasn't changed it, it it didn't change so what changed was the context itself because working on customer centricity it was something that we were working before and now the, the customer changed a bit and then some adaptations had to ma be made but the challenge was the same sustainable futures uh, as Pnam said I'm, I'm, I hope I, I pronounced it correctly um, as she said um, it was also something in the agenda but it 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 became more urgent some, somehow uh, and so, some companies like digital tr transformation digital acceleration as we call it uh, was also something that was in the agenda of some companies, most companies, uh, but for some it was kind of, especially here uh, in South America, for some it was like, okay, now, now we have to do this. So it seems that I was really worried in the beginning, but then it, seemed that it seems that the work itself got more urgent and that was the biggest change, more than the challenges themselves. So, uh, this is this is this was uh, interesting. It 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 put us in a new place, and probably in this place that them uh, actually said that people were questioning exactly what what they were doing because uh, that happened to a lot of our team as well uh, uh, on the on projects because too much workload. Uh, uh, questioning the types of projects sometimes that we were doing. Uh, it it seems like helping some clients were better than helping other types of clients in other projects so it's a it's an interesting change i would say uh, but not the, a change in, in the challenges themselves uh, in my opinion yeah i think well, what we saw is when the um, when everything went into lockdown um you know everything was put on hold for about a week or two uh, and, and at the time i didn't know if it was going to be a year or two or a week or two uh, and then there was, uh, everything was kind of brought back and it was either things, as you say, were reprioritized or ongoing trends were really firmed up. And then, uh, other things were about like, okay, now we really, since it takes us so long to get a product to market that we need to start predicting the future today, uh, knowing all these new elements. So as you know, more concrete examples. You know, there was some projects that we were working on that were shifted to uh, almost the same project, but as a response to COVID. Or, uh, as you mentioned, um, sustainability was uh, even more important and prioritized. But I think the things that were sort of in response to what's new is, you know, the ongoing trend of uh, the difficulties brick and mortar retail is seeing is even, you know, far stronger. Um, so that means people shop differently, select differently, uh, you know, view products and try them on and all these kinds of things very differently. And there's a, there's a response to that. The other thing we saw is like predicting of the new norm, if there is a norm. Um, and what we've seen over the past year and a half is that, you know, as people have become so comfortable with remote, work that really means that being in a particular place is not as important as it was before i think we'll see a pushback i think if you see what's happening to the banks 
as a you know in Wall Street, J.P. Morgan uh, and uh, Goldman Sachs and everybody else calling everybody in 100% and and really not embracing remote work. But what that means is that it's not just for employees; it's for businesses. So for like us as a consultancy. Even though we can technically reach anyone, we mostly reach people within a region. Um, but if that region, that physical geographic boundary is no longer uh, important and the employees that we're working with within their organizations are scattered all over the world, then it doesn't really, really matter that we're in New York. You know, we could be working with anybody anywhere in the world anyway. And as, as more as that becomes uh, natural, um, then I, can, then I can see that there's sort of a flattening. There's not a centering of a concentration of talent or a concentration of projects or things like that in San Francisco, you know, New York, Boston, Chicago, those kind of things. Are you guys branching into new categories? You know what I mean? Like, is there, as a result, what's changing in the world? Are there new markets that you're seeing where there's more being built in those categories? Um, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm thinking for now, I'm obviously... Like, I love the name nonfiction. Like, what are, you know, new industries and categories that are growing that you're seeing businesses that might need help there? Just curious. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we are putting our foot in. So we've been in the space industry for a while, but like ag tech, agriculture technology is huge right now. Um, you know, thinking about applying um, sustainable product development in ways that have never been done before. Uh, mm. is is big but I would say the trend that's happening right now that's that's getting stronger and stronger is the is the bridging between industries the healthcare industry used to be focused on healthcare or sick care uh, as some people call it um, you know the, the 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 education industry used to be you know stay, staying in its lane and um, and all the other industry audio industry uh, IOT wearables whatever um, what I find interesting is when uh, people or groups from all of these industries are speaking with each other and start innovating by, by solving problems in new ways or in ways where that are more common in other industries. Um, and, and that's very, very exciting for us. And that turns us, you know, designers, industrial designers, UX designers um, into systems designers. Right, working with cross-functional teams of mechanical mm. engineers, electrical, software, you know, firmware, whatever, working together to come up with solutions that are, you know, personalized and and really solve a problem, and that's very much linked to the trend of eliminating bias in uh, in tech. So as we all know, um, a lot of tech has been developed for the average person or or you know, white male, 50th percentile, um, you know, average person. And, and the problem with that that we've run into is that the, the consumer has been voicing themselves and saying that, um, that, that you know, the product doesn't work on them or doesn't fit their bodies or, uh, or, or you know, is, is, is just not satisfying their specific needs. And because we're getting more granular with the technologies we're using, uh, with the uh, the disciplines we're integrating in the process of strategizing a solution, um, we're getting closer to that. Certainly, I think in the last year, more so than ever, we're realizing the need for diversification, right? 
of, of those that are in this industry and, and how we practice it. Um, can I ask you guys, when I talk to professionals in design, one of the other tracks, this is origin story. And I would love to hear what inspired you, each of you to start your own agency and, and what's it been like? And so there's, when I talk to professionals who say, I one day want to start my own agency, right? My own firm. Um, there are barriers to understanding what that's about. And I'd be curious to hear from each of you, what inspired you? At what point did you say, I, I, I need to do this. I need to break out and start my own agency. Marco? I think if, if you have the bug to do it, you just have to do it. There's almost no choice. You know what I mean? I think people who are entrepreneurs are fundamentally unemployable. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, you kind of have this bug. I mean, I, I worked at great companies and I liked everything about them and I quit anyway. And it was a terrible time. I had a, an infant and a two-year-old and I bought an apartment that was too expensive and it was the worst time to take the risk. But I kind of felt like I had no choice because I just had the bug to do it. And it wasn't really the goal to per se to create an agency, but it was a goal to create something that I would love to work on. Um, the, the, the one thing you, you don't really think about uh, when you do it is that like I'm, I like to be say, an, an inventor, right? It's part design, part engineering, creativity, regardless, coming up with something new. Um, if you own a business, you're really a salesperson, um, and that you know nobody really goes out and says I can't wait to be a salesperson, you know. But well, some some do, some do, <laughs> but not me. And um, and so in the end, you know, you create great projects or you collect great tools and toys and softwares and hardware to play with, and you don't get to play with any of it because you're pretty much a salesperson. But so you know, there's there's a the things you don't really think about when you go out and jump off that cliff to build the airplane. Um, but, um, you know, again, like if you're going to take, if you're going to take the risk to do it, you're, you're going to just do it anyway. I, I love your point. No one turns, you know, goes out to say, Oh, I'm going to be a salesperson and just rep myself. This isn't, but you have to, you have to go out and represent your firm and your vision. Tell me you know, like, a, like, like even like a chef, right. Wants to start a restaurant because they love to cook they're probably not going to be doing the cooking <laughs> i think you know i have a slightly different perspective you know i spent half of my life on the corporate side and you know worked at large and small companies and i love you know i mean the corporate side gives you incredible depth and like longevity and and power you know you have the ability to launch a product sustain yeah. it update it you know it's 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 a thrill um, I think that what I really love the most about running my own agency is this idea of, of giving my wisdom to the next generation, you know, even that I'm not potentially as much involved in the work, because yeah, as you said, you have to do biz dev and you have to do finance and all the other stuff. I think just seeing like a team evolve and, and get better at what they do. Um, and, you know, having an incredible team, we're very, very fortunate, but just seeing them, you know, doing their own thing and, and, and kind of extending that, that love for design, that love for engineering, that love for 
kind of making innovative product solutions is, is, is very gratifying. And I feel that, you know, a design team can be more pure about that than a, than a corporate entity, right? Because you're obviously mm -hmm. a, a multi, you know, functional team and you're like a sliver of that. And folks tend to be very disenfranchised if they, you know, come out of design or engineering school and go in a corporate environment right away. They just finally realize, hey, I'm in the meeting all day. I'm doing one product every two years. It can be kind of a grind, right? So design agency is way more fun. We have like five projects every given moment. Right. <laughs> Everybody works on everything. Such so, variety. Yeah, exactly. And there are times, there are certain corporations where, um, you know, they, they have full-on design teams internally, but they need that external catalyst, right? Right. Because sometimes that the internal team becomes that steward to hold on to the brand mission and and yeah, and I think that outside voice to sometimes even validate, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, we work we work with very large companies with very extended design teams internally. You know, Bose, 3M, and I mean, it. I feel like sometimes what happens is the smartest internal design teams understand when to bring out an external partner, right? And mm -hmm. and it really mm -hmm. shows the fidelity of the of the internal team when they have the the the, the foresight to say, hey, you know, this is maybe not something we wanna tackle our on our own maybe we need a strategic partner on the outside to leverage technology digital divide you know like also um, sometimes you know certain divisions in corporations are not very nice to designers right so sometimes it's easier on the outside to make a change and help your internal team to get leverage it's you know it's a, it's always a co collaboration design i mean design is a collaboration right there's not one person ever mm. you know even even Dita Rams had a team, right? And, you know, and he is kind of like on the forefront of all of this. So I think it's important to have both. I very much agree with that. Um, one thing about leading a, um, uh, about running a consultancy is that you are forced to be at the forefront of design and at the forefront of leadership, because these two things are moving targets. And uh, it's, that's what's very exciting about the job as well. Um, I don't mm. know about all of you on the panel, but like one of the greatest frustrations I've seen when I worked in other consultancies is that I was seeing these brilliant people starting consultancies as designers and stop designing. Like what a waste of talent. Uh, and, um, and so that's, that's one thing that uh, at Nonfiction we try to keep is that even though my partner and I you know, are leading the team we are still designers. We still put our hands in the dirt. We still get you know, deep into the details of what it takes to create great products or great solutions. And you know, I'm not gonna lie, it's a lot of work, but it's so incredibly satisfying because you get to do what you want, build the world, build the future that you want with, mm -hmm. um, uh, with the resources given to you by your clients. And, and get to influence industries that way, right? All of us, I assume, want to influence something, influence industry. We just we, we don't want just to design yet another box, apply a, a color or apply a, a form factor. That's that's not what industrial design is. Um, I mean, not, not good industrial design for my part. It's, it's really questioning why we're doing this. Why are we doing this way? Why haven't we changed the way we've been doing this for the last 30 years? and what is in front of us, right? It's not only the application, it's also the methodology. We are the people influencing this industry to become what it needs to be in the future. So, so, so let's do it now. 
Yeah, and I think I want to add to that. I think design is a process. You know, it's not one person with a genius mindset that out, out designs everybody else. Uh, I think once you see it as a process, then, uh, you know, mul multiple people can contribute to that process and it can be very gratifying to also be limited involved in something and then still kind of see it all the way through and use your, you know, 20, 30 years of wisdom to kind of guide folks that, you know, maybe need, you know, need, need, need kind of like, the, uh, I feel like the vision is, a, is, is always a collected vision. And, and if you, the, the client shares that vision, that's the, the most rewarding. And then every part of your organization kind of can contribute to that vision, right? On in different mm -hmm. levels. Yeah. Uh, I have to say though, it's, I'm talking to more people like in, in industrial design. And as an industrial designer myself, even though I, I work with service design, I see that uh, industrial, Industrial designers, product designers, traditional product designers, they seem to be more, most, most uh, product designers, they seem to be more um, uh, focused on the, on the work and on the style that they can em embed into their solutions. Uh, so I, I like your view of uh, being it a collaborative process, Gregor. In service design, mm. what I have to tell uh, my team most of the time uh, is the opposite because the movement to co-creation was so uh, strong that I was perceiving that many designers were hiding themselves in the collaborative part, space, you know? So they were, uh, some of, of the, uh, so the professionals, they, they seemed afraid to put themselves into the solution, you know, and, 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 and give some kind of vision to the work itself and, and their own vision and bring their own vision to the solution space. Uh, so I find it nice because it's, it's always a balance, right? It's, a, it's not, totally yeah. collaborative and I'm going to do exactly what everybody wants me to do because somebody has to help and come up with a decision at some point but then it's not an egocentric process where there's one uh, person that knows all the answers and it's the kind of like the this genius that is going to give the you know point the the way out or the way forward so I, I liked seeing this as a balance between putting myself or someone's everybody has to put a little bit of them themselves uh but it's so it's the collaborative collaboration and the individual part of the work no she bring up a, an interesting point i mean I, I heard it in wilma's talk about understanding your own goals as well as the team and the company's goals we I heard bob and Alistair mentioned this as well. There's an interesting, and, and in, in the work that I do when I work with people, it's like there's this duality of what do I individually need, but also what does the collective need if I'm part of a company or if I'm working with a client, what are their goals? It's a balance of um, understanding you individually within the organization, right? And this is within the business of design um, or even yes. with, within other creatives. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really important. I mean, a million thousand times agree with this, you know, the death of a thousand cuts is very common in corporate environments, right? And it's the lowest common denominator is winning. And I think it needs strong leadership on the inside and on the outside to kind of get ahead of that. You know, you can be inclusive and still um, drive um, a vision that might be challenging to implement or might, you know, be too expensive takes too long, whatever. I mean, a million factors, right? But I think that collective understanding of, hey, we got to do this is important, right? I think, to be honest, I think, you know, I, I believe COVID is, you know, the societal 
um, you know, challenge of our lifetime. And I think we, we haven't seen it, right? And I think it, it, it sparks very new, new approaches and the smart, you know, corporate leaders understand that and, and take risks. And, and, you know, what I also love about kind of the Zoom generation and the, the Zoom year is, you know, you, you, you see the kids of your CFO, your, your CEO, you, you know, you, you see people kind of struggling getting onto Zoom. It's a humbling experience. I feel like yeah. strong leaders become stronger and weak leaders get called out easier, right? I feel like um, it's been a really interesting year and I look forward to what's going to happen the next one. I love how the pandemic absolutely globally we've, we've all gone through this shift, right? Um, does that change the way your clients are receptive to change? You know, I feel like as an industry, the common lament as creatives, as designers, whatever specialty we're in, the lament is the clients don't want to go as far pushing their own boundaries, right? And so are mm -hmm. they more receptive now in general? Like, just are they saying, yes, oh my God, the world has changed on us. We really need to go. Or, or are they still incremental? And I mean, there's that hesitation to how do we, how much do we invest in? How far do we go? beyond what our competitors are doing, that kind of thing. I, I, I think in the US, you know, most companies we work with are pretty cash rich right now. I mean, even that they might've lost some markets, they, you know, they mm -hmm. all have been kind of bunkered down um, and mm -hmm. are really kind of trying to redefine themselves. Um, and I think they have to, you know, if you look at transportation, yeah, you know, uh, uh, any kind of like large industry now, right now is getting somewhat disrupted. Insurance, you know, I think there's a lot of, kind of industries that, 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 you know, this almost was like a little suspended year, right? Everybody got yes. frozen for a year yes. and now they're like, what are we going to do? Right. Um, and the ones I see definitely a lot of more risk taking, um, with the smart companies, but also, unfortunately, I also see a lot of kind of the, you know, corner office, um, old white guys trying to leverage their power play again. And it's unfortunately, or fortunately, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for the employees, I think they have a lot more power. They take new jobs, they, you know, move on. I feel like the smart companies realize that the HR policies might be from the fifties and they have to change it. I've seen the trend that if before COVID teams were terrified of design, they remain terrified of design. Right. And if, if they were um, interested in inching into, you know, new spaces, new ways of thinking about things, then they look to us to help them along the way. Um, so, so yeah, it's um, it, it's been polarity very of their polarity yeah. of their yeah, and we're intensified. Right. And sometimes it can be in the same company. You have two different groups going two different ways. I see that a lot actually. But but you know, uh, so before we used to think before the pandemic, we used to think that. Uh, we, we would talk about the uncertainties and the, the fast pace of change in the world. Uh, and then now we realize that how, how fragile things are and, the, and, the, and, and how, how the future can you know, go lots of different, completely different ways. So innovation as a topic has become, uh, I think more accepted in, in organizations because of that. Because, the idea of the, the world changing very fast and the uncertainty of, of, of the world was there already, but then it kind of like took a, a big hit, you know, and now we realize, or at least organizations, the, the executives which are, 
I talked to, they, they realized, no, okay, this is for real. This is, we, we, can't, we can't actually know what to expect. So we have to be ready. We have to be agile. We have to have multiple solutions to different uh, possibility scenarios, future scenarios. So it's, um, I think it's, it was a, a good uh, move to design as a whole because companies have to change themselves more constantly and be ready to change. And I think we are the, those agents of change. You absolutely are. I'm, I'm gonna, let me read some comments here on the side. I just want to, I love Kelly Cook. Yes, des, design firm owners are fundamentally unemployable. <laughs> um, and Michael Celia wrote, Phnom, love your value of keeping talent in the work, no matter what level. Agreed, we lose many great visionaries and designers to business ownership and team leadership. Yeah, in, some, in many places, it's, it becomes you know, account management, right? If you were able to speak to, for all of you, you know, you guys working with um, businesses that have never met design before, I feel like you guys are at the forefront of working with companies that have never touched, uh, worked with, understood the value of design. Have you guys ever worked, uh, you all, sorry, um, have you, when you meet a business owner or a leader, um, how do you open up that discussion? How do you wake them up to the value of design, how design can help their corporation, whether it's a startup or enterprise scale? One, one point I always try to, to put on the table immediately is make people understand that design is not something you apply. A lot of people think you develop a technology, you have an MVP prototype and you apply design. And what they mean is that putting a shape, putting a color, user experience, ergonomics or whatever to it. That's not really MBA, MBA thinking, right? There's a formula, plug in the formula. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's not what we do. What we do is that we think about what happens before that. Why should this product exist? What is it saying? Who is it targeting? You know, when is it going to make an impact? So really asking ourselves all of these questions first and, and then validate whether or not this product is actually um, viable from a business perspective, from an influence perspective. And, and all the all the things that, that that give us a reason to put out products, right? Um, and and really the strategic aspect of design needs to be a collaboration. We use that word a lot: collaboration between the clients, between what's going on in the industry, and us as designers. And then from there, we can make decisions whether or not you know this thing should be round or square, this thing should have this color or this fabric. It's it comes afterward. Design. You know, in the world is misunderstood a lot um, in, in that way. And, uh, and education, free education, accessible education for everyone is, is so incredibly primordial for us to defend design. Because we spend a, a very large percentage of our time in our business defending design. You come to us with an idea, we're giving you more because more is what you need, more is what the world needs. And, uh, and, you know, as I said about education, last year we started a video series called Future Future, where we very transparently tell the world from children to business people, to engineers, to whoever wants to listen, what design is about. Design is such a multidimensional um, discipline that cannot be put in a very narrow box. I, I feel like, I don't know, I've been in the design industry longer than I'd like to admit, right? So. Uh, 
for the longest time, right, design had been saying that, you know, designers need to be in the C-suite and leaderships and, and, and so on. And I think agencies forever were saying, like, the world would be greener when uh, businesses embrace design. And I'm also an engineer, and it's kind of funny. Engineering never says nobody knows what we do, and uh, I wish people understood that we need engineering. Um, it's sort of a very different problem over there. But the reality is, I think over time, you know, probably due to a lot of large corporate successes with design leadership, like that kind of isn't an issue as much anymore. I think people will come to us and say, I need design, I value design, I have no idea what it is. And we can walk them through the, the process. And as you guys are saying, it's a process. It's not a it's not fashion, it's not a sticker on the outside, it's not lipstick on the pig. Um, but I think they, I think I'm not really having those conversations as much uh, as it was in the past, in the early days. Um, I would say though, that as much as agencies may have thought like this would make life a lot easier because people value design, the reality is what we saw uh, since like, let's say 2008 is that once businesses decided this is really important, now this is really at the core of what the business does. And then businesses says, well, we don't outsource core, we insource core. So they built internal design teams. So it was actually harder for design agencies because all of a sudden all the great talent got sucked into big agencies. And it used to be that working, I could say in the 90s, working in a sort of stale cor uh, corporation in a business park in the middle of the suburbs was a way to kill your career, right? And but that's kind of not true anymore. So I think what, what we're actually seeing is not a discussion about value, but what is the process? And um, the harder parts are when, when somebody might come in and says, well, you know, I've done my research and I've done my um, initial sketches and I've done the brainstorming. So let's get it done. And they try to like truncate the process a bit and perhaps to shorten the timeline or shorten the scope and budget. Um, but I find that that's actually not as good because then the team isn't as, as immersed uh, in the process. And I don't, I don't really think that like a lot of the research was like, well, that was really a good survey, but this is not the way I would approach research, you know, and things like that, you know, and, and it's when they, it, when they try to do 90% and try to get you to do the last 10% is kind of harder. Um, and we typically kind of walk away from those projects because they, ju I just don't see them that they're, they're not going to succeed. Yeah. It's, I love that you pointed out that um, point in, the design industry's history where all of a sudden there was an influx of corporations realizing the value design and to bring it in-house. But then even as so many leading corporations that truly invest in design are, are building, building their internal design teams, right? They still need that external perspective. Your, your, you know, your cat catalytic impact, right? Um, and I do see us in the future. We're not that far away where, you know, just like every corporation, every company has marketing, accounting, or engineering, or product management. Every company will have, you know, external, you know, just as there's marketing internal, external. There's, there will be design internal almost in any company, depending on what their, you know, product or service is, right? And with external support. So I just I mean, feel like there's, 
there's so and for every corporation like PNG or G or GE Healthcare or 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 Amazon, right? There are hundreds and thousands of companies, people building businesses every day, and they are building them, but not knowing how to build them to succeed. And they need insight from you know from you guys. Well, from the I mean, agency side, there will never be a shortage of work. I think the reality is yeah. that like if you look at a billion dollar company. They have they can't hire enough designers to get everything done that they want to have done. Yes. So a lot of times they build large teams of very talented design managers that then want to get some of the nitty gritty. They don't have enough time to really do all the nuts and bolts. On the other time, on the other side, there are other ones that are just very large teams and they're sustaining the current line and they're launching what's going to come out in six, 18, 24 months. Um, and they're working on that and we're working on beyond 24 months. Uh, other times it's like, uh, they're really a different type of organization, uh, you know, perhaps focused on, uh, something in healthcare or some IP or, you know, some, uh, something, and then design and engineering is a spike of activity that will then flatten out and they don't really need or own, want to own the team that does that. Right. So they'll just, uh, mm -hmm. They'll, they'll say we need to get this to market but 90 90 percent of our work is selling that thing and so we don't want to own the design team um you know it, and again all these people value design in different in different ways um but i don't I, you know there's just there's so much that needs to get done and as we've been saying like mm -hmm. everything has shifted that someone so much stuff has to get redone um and so it's it's the and of course the other the other benefit of agencies is that we're not bogged down by the politics that are that that is within large corporations and it's easy to get an outside perspective because we're not dragged down by uh, constraints as much and uh, you know a lot of the work that we do ends up getting filtered through that eventually but I think at the you know like a fresh outside pair of eyes is often valued and also. Um when we connect with corporations or our big clients, uh, they don't necessarily have a design team or we don't necessarily work with their design team. We might be working directly with different teams, whether it's uh, business, marketing, uh, science, or technology engineering teams. And um, it's our job to adapt our language or our way of doing things to align with, um, with the way these teams are doing the work. And in, in introducing design in a way that serves everyone. Um, and I think that flexibility is, is something that needs to be integrated in, uh, in design education. A lot of the time design education seems to be quite elitist um, about the position of design. Uh, and, and once you know, the students are exposed to the real world, there's a surprise that design is not put on the pedestal for every single client and that we spend a lot of time defending ourselves. So, um, so, so really opening language, the language of design, the language of connection with all the teams that put products on the markets is, is essential for, for the future of our field. Let me ask you guys, when, what year did you guys start your firm, right? What, what was going on during that time? And going back to like what the catalyst for you you know, were you doing well in a company, but I felt compelled. I mean, I remember when I was actually, I have my own, I remember when I was at Ros Goldfarb Associates, 
um, untrainable. I loved this uh, working for Ros Goldfarb Associate. I thought that was my end all. And I realized that there was something about the method that we were using that I just felt compelled to change the way we were doing our business and, and just realized I couldn't stay. I, I, I almost wanted, I actually wanted to stay, but I just felt such conviction that I realized there was nothing I could do. I had to follow this, um, you know, this desire to, to build something different, right? So how did you guys all at that moment of realization, right? So that moment for yourself to say, I, I'm, I can't do this. I have to do this. I have to strike out. What were the thoughts in your own mind for anybody here listening to say when they're wondering, do I take that divergent path and believe in myself that much? Or, or was it just, oh, I'm going to do a couple of gigs and next, you know, consulting and now consulting has grown into, you know, what was it more intentional or was it accidental? I can start. Um, I, I don't think my answer is going to be useful because uh, back then when I started my, my current uh, uh, agency, uh, uh, LiveWork, uh, I had no option. That was it. Uh, there, there was, I, I, I discovered service design in 2008 when I was in Europe doing a master. Um, and then prices struck in over there and I wanted to work with the service design. It seemed like an interesting thing to do as an industrial engineer um, and product designer. So uh, I, I started searching for it and there was nobody working with that in Brazil. So I decided to just start doing my own projects. And after one year, I convinced the first service design agency in the world, which is LiveWork, uh, to open a studio here, uh, and which I, I've been leading for over a decade now. So it, basically it was, it was that or you know, working with something else. Uh, I had no option. That's why I opened my own firm. I can tell you about timing. I, uh, I, I, I decided to go out on my own and go with, uh, do, some, do some work with the friends and we were gonna try a bunch of different things and see what stuck. So it was like, could be an agency, could be a product, it could be a startup. And, uh, but it was in April of 2001. Um, so a couple months in, uh, it was going okay. And then it was September 11th, 2001. So, and then again, at the time I had an infant and a two-year-old in an expensive apartment. And, and so, you know, that's to say that there is no timing. <laughs> there is no, like, uh, I see a great opportunity. I think the reason I jumped out is that around 2001, uh, right before there was like the dot-com boom and everything was going towards, uh, a lot of the money was going towards software and web uh, development and not uh, not hardware, and I was more interested in hardware uh, at the time. And uh, so a lot of the jobs were, you know, put a plastic shell around something, and they just weren't that interesting to me. So I wanted to find something different and new. Um, and that's why I left to try to, you know, find it on my own, because I think the businesses that I worked for um, had to do with whatever was possible to sustain their business. Then came the dot-com boom, and then the bust, and then, and then yeah. September 11th. Um, and so, you know, we've had a few discussions here about like, you know, uh, you know, things are always different and changing and always kind of staying the same because I think that people are fundamentally the same. Um, I, I remember, I don't know why, but it always sticks in my head that like the biggest worry in the summer of 2001 
was uh, the sharks. It was like the summer of the shark and the shark attacks, and they were like on the news constantly of like right. the number of people eaten by sharks. And and then came September 11th, and it felt like so silly to be worried about great white sharks. Um, <laughs> vast majority of the world, and it was sort of like, oh, I can't believe I was worried about sharks, you know. And um, and as a business owner, you're like, you know. You're like, okay, I don't think I have to worry about sharks. It's not going to threaten my business. And then 2001 happened, and then the ramifications of that. And then it wasn't until 2006 that I started Pensa after many basically failed reboots and pivots. You know, all those were like, oh, this kind of worked, but not enough. And other things didn't work at all. And then, um, you know, started, uh, started Pensa. And then uh, that was 2006. You know, two years into it, doing pretty good. And then it was 2008, uh, which was the housing crisis. So, you know, you just have to be resilient and you have to expect that it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. And, uh, yeah, it's the first couple of times it's like scary. And then after a while, it's like a roller coaster. You've been a thousand times, you know, the turn is coming. You just don't know when and it's, it's fine. It'll be fine. Talk about iteration and pivoting. I mean, that's what happens when you're building a business. You have to, you know, what's your expertise? What's your, who's your customer? How are you supporting them? And all of those different things are, and then you know, the world changing and yeah, different trends. So, so your question about, you know, why uh, we started nonfiction. So nonfiction started uh, uh, in 2016. And that was a year after my co-founder and husband and I were both hired um, as contractors at, at a design consultancy called Matter. Matter is now absorbed by Fjord. And, um, and we were hired at the same time. We had to actually show up before we at the same time to the same people, it was very awkward. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then after working together on a, on a fairly complex project, we realized that we work very well together um, because we're very complementary, right? And um, I had been, you know, thinking for a while about starting my own agency because I've always had this business acumen that I think I have. <laughs> and um, and and after after spending a year doing that, realized that maybe now is the time. I have found a partner that I've known for a very long time who I can trust and with whom I can start doing this. Because I never I never wanted to start a design agency with my name on it or doing it by myself. I wanted to be supported by people who are complementary, love to do the things I hate to do and are good at the things I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. and, and then from there, uh, develop what the company is. So one thing when you start an agency is that, you know, you, you wing a lot of things, right? I kind of winged the, the business aspect of it. Uh, you know, I winged our positioning at first. And then slowly but surely, you become, you begin to find your voice. Oh, I have this particular voice in this industry. Well, let me put it out mm. there for you too, to really see it. And as you're doing that, you are evolving what you're doing. So nonfiction in 2016 was a classic industrial design uh, agency. And then slowly we injected science, we injected technology, we injected engineering, we injected a bunch of new industries. And then realize that what we're actually doing now in 2021 is solving complex systems through physical solutions, whether the physical solution is industrial design, is architecture, or something in between. And so 
being flexible and getting to do the crazy things we're doing right now, getting to have a say um, in, in all of this and moving beyond what you were well known for in the past, right? I was hired, I had a whole career as a freelancer designing for you know, all the agencies out there, but I was always an industrial designer. Industrial design became too small for us. And then we are in the process of evolving what it means to be an industrial designer within the systems design. And that's so incredibly enriching. I love how you all, you, um, Phnom, you also noticed how you had to pivot. But, it, and, but I also hear you following your passion. Each of you, I think, you have something that, you're, that I think compels you, right? To do what you do. And this is why you have built your agencies around what you're inspired to do, what you're, and as you're kind of testing in the waters at the same time. It's fun, your comment, Phnom, to me, is the same thing that I think almost any creative professional would want to do, right? Is to follow what their drive is, understanding what works, what doesn't work. For anybody who's starting their own agency, right? Someone who's, for, for people that, have you ever met someone, a, a professional, a fellow colleague where you think that person should run their own agency? I mean, do you see that in someone and that they don't take that audacious leap? I mean, you know, Starting an agency is incredibly easy, right? You need a laptop and the and the table and and the client. <laughs> so, I I would say everybody who wants to start an agency should give it a try. Especially you know in the in the labor market like now, if it doesn't work out, you can always find a job. Um, I think the most important part really is to um, create a network, you know, of of, of like minded people. And I think you know, as I started Loft. You know, I was basically on the corporate side, on the on the agency side for over 20 years before I started my own agency. And I think uh, it really helped, you know, to have basically a Rolodex of people that, that knew you, that knew what you were doing um, mm -hmm. and kind of bring a, bring, a, bring a concisive offering to their footsteps and be able to kind of leverage that. But I, I mean, I worked at, you know, I worked in the pro audio space for a long time as a global design director and, you know, all these people working at Akai, Numeric Alesis, you know, all those synthesizer companies, it's an incredible, like, tight-knitted industry. So when we started our own agency, there was a ton of people that like, hey, by the way, we have a project for you, right? I think it also helps to kind of be in an industry, you know, and understand kind of an industry well, and then use that as a, as a springboard into, you mm -hmm. know, becoming more full feature. I actually think there are, well, we all know, right? A lot of creative professionals, we're talking, I say creative professionals because it's not just designers, move from corporate to consultancy, but also to becoming the gig economy contractor, right? Right. Um, and there's, a, there's something that where I meet a lot of people who are, you know, consultants and yet they can't break that barrier. Um, and it's sometimes I feel like there's that notion where they think the work should speak for itself but you guys i think know that you have to become the stewards and the, the brand representatives right uh, yeah difference. but i think you know i mean we're a good example we i don't think we had a website for the first four years of our business right so i think it was that you know we had probably some sort of landing page set yeah but i mean and maybe you know I word think of mouth this is the to be honest this is the first year where we really are you know we hired a marketing director we started kind of telling our story but i feel like a lot, I know a lot of people out there, you know, even agencies that are bigger than us, where 
it's mm. all word to mouth. You know, you don't even know where they're coming from, right? So I think this industry is very much about the networks and mm. and and doing good work and kind of being approachable and 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 you know becoming successful that way. And I think it's good what you say about con contractors, right? I think there's definitely contractors that want to stay contractors. They're really good at what they do. And then there's contractors that should probably be agencies because you know they could be bigger and they could have more fun in what they're doing. It's it's more like a mindset, I would say. Mm -hmm. They need to support themselves with some planners. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have your planners, I'm sure, around I think you, what right? Panan said about the idea of like, you know, finding somebody who's good at what you're not good at, right? That's well also critical. Mm -hmm. right? um, mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't know if you, you know, uh, uh, Dave Francino from Delft, but he, he basically, you know, was talking about this idea of, you know, certain agencies have, have like a leadership team where everybody, nobody's in their hair. Everybody does one thing really well and they seem to thrive. I know that there are a lot of people when I tell them that you guys were coming up to speak, people were impressed and wanted to know, like, who are, who are you guys looking to hire? So that um, if anybody's interested, they can reach out to you guys. Well, me or any category for each of you guys. Right now, I think, you know, our digital business is exploding. I think we're definitely amping up on the UX side, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, UX for us is, is still a, a product, you know, so it's a, it's, we, we don't do content driven websites or we don't do traditional UX. We do, I would say applications and dashboards for physical products. So it's tough sometimes to also hire UX designers because the traditional UX designer comes from a much more like a web background and it's really hard to adopt the products. So. I think digital product designers are, it's a, it's a rare thing to find. Yeah, it is a rare thing when it's digital for physical, right? Hardware, software, mm, the overlap yeah. that Venn diagram gets very small. Yes. Very small. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the way we hire here in nonfiction, um, I could care less what's on your resume. Um, what I care about is have you had an amazingly rich life where you take your experiences, professional, personal, and then inject them into the beautiful stories we, we tell through products. And I'm gonna give you an example of the people who work here. I mean, we have a world specialist in woolly mammoths and ancient sharks. We have uh, an ex, you know, deadlifter champion from Italy. We have, um, um, you know, people who have traveled the world and, 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 and told story like Ski, who's on this, um, this, this call right now answering questions. She, she's a fashion designer you know, MBA business design specialists who, who does strategy for us. Like everybody has these, this amazing background. Um, and, and, and that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested High pivoters. in- High pivoters, yeah. Yes. And also people who are not just, you know, resting on their laurels, you know, they're not just uh, finding something they're good at and repeating it again and again. I have no interest in that. I, I want I want to see surprise. I want to see people who follow through, people who are willing to uh, take the risks for our clients, and making mm -hmm. sure that whatever risk we take becomes reality. Right. Right. And, I mean, to build on that, I think it's really important to find people that that ha that can adapt and and learn. I rather teach something new to somebody who's highly adaptable than to hire an mm -hmm. expert and be stuck with that expert. And when that discipline is, is not needed. 
it's funny because, you know, I remember, was there some kind of comment they talked about startups, right? Investors will invest in someone who's built a company and failed three times than someone who's never. So in that essence, I, I kind of hear pivoting, people who are accustomed to pivoting quite, you know, rapidly and able to make that shift. And then that is something that's hard for people to maintain that perspective and be able to do that again and again as they evolve in their career, actually. So mm -hmm. this is where, for all of you who pivot, this is where these agencies are, are open and see the value in that mindset. Um, no, I, I think I'm not going to be as inspiring as, as you guys, but uh, I, I'm looking for someone that understands business, but uh, has this creative side uh, to think about uh, the future state mm -hmm. of things. So the, the market, my market has become really mature uh, and I need experienced people that are able to deliver solutions that can actually be implemented and bring good results. And sometimes I see that the, I'm, I'm not sure how it is over there, um, but over here, some designers are really, when they come out of, of, uh, of they, their studies, uh, they, they are too dreamy. Uh, and I, I think it is good. I don't want to kill that, but at the same time, we, we are really in a position right now where the, the changes must happen too fast and be adjusted on the go. So uh, we can't, we don't have, at least in my business, uh, in most of the projects, not all of the projects, because we work with systemic design, we work with sustainable, sustainable futures. There are some projects that we look in, in more longer terms, but uh, most of the cases we are thinking about improving customer experience and we need to consider the business side as well. And I'm not seeing many designers, traditional or, or graduated designers to come with this uh, knowledge specifically. So that's mm -hmm. why the service design field is filled with people that are coming from other, uh, other professions. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the, you're, you're getting the people who are fascinated by design and innovation, but they've had, you know, longstanding careers in marketing or account management or finance exactly. or law. I mean, I've met so many. I love how today even we're still seeing so many people who, you know, accidentally, I love this phrase, accidentally stepped into design. They go, wow, this is amazing. You can't just shut your eyes after that, right? We were looking for uh, somebody with some expertise as a woolly, woolly mammoth uh, expertise, but unfortunately, you know, they're really hard to find. <laughs> but not, not like Matt you know? got that before you did. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a needle in a haystack, really. Uh, um, I think people always talk about uh, T-shaped people, right? Like one depth and some breadth. And I think we, we're always looking for like, like, Greek letter pie shaped people, like one or two depths and some breath, because like the reality is, as Gregor said, like, like our UI people need to know industrial design and, and, and user interface because the product mm -hmm. is uh, those two together working in, in unison and like that, we don't really do uh, websites. So we really need somebody who can work on interfaces, understand like everything from the nitty gritty of like, you know, you can't, you can't navigate that the buttons are too small the touchscreen is not that sensitive to to like uh, experience and look and feel and, and and all that kind of stuff so in, in those cases like I, somebody who has a, a, a foot in each is, is great or a foot in uh, industrial design but also a foot in you know research and strategy um is great and i'm from the engineering side um you know product and engineering um and mechanical engineering too is like 
it could be part design and product design uh, focus, but there's also just like hardcore engineering of, you know, developing technologies and everything. So all these people, you know, because we're a small agency, people have to change their hats quite often. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we recently did a few hires um, in the past couple of months. And uh, that was, that was the hard problem. And the, and the reality is despite looking at the unemployment rate, um, this is really not as correlated to the people that we're looking for. Like they seem to be, all very hard to find or uh, moving around. And I think uh, I think the pandemic really made people curious to see what other jobs would be like. So there's I see a lot of motion, but there's not a lot of people sitting around looking for jobs. You know, people go from one place to another, and um, yeah. and the people we were interested in were like, I just took a job somewhere else. So I think um, right now it's it's really kind of hard to find anybody. Um, and it's a it's a it's a seller's market from the, from the employer. It's an employee's market right now. Yeah. Well, and and what I want I'm going to get into in on my our next talk is about how we see talent and what's changing post pandemic. And absolutely for every kind of employer, the biggest challenge today is quality of life mm-hmm. on a personal level. Um, and I. I um, Lewis, I remember our conversation earlier, how you really, as an agency owner, took it upon, you know, to, to safeguard, I think, quality of life, right? So it's an interesting yes. value to it, offer. It's part of our employee value proposition. It's this balance between life uh, outside work and work and making work fun as, fun as well, of course. Right. But I think, you know, people that, that want to work in a design agency usually are somewhat more driven by you know loving yeah. their job therefore you know are probably more happy in what they do anyway so it's you know um yeah um, I, I mean we, I, just speaking on, on on the flexibility i mean we just hired uh, a woman who was at phillips in eindhoven for 13 14 years and we she's moving to oregon for six months and then she's moving to north carolina to work for us they are remotely. So I feel like also mm. as an agency, a lot of times you can be like, hey, this is totally no problem for us. Or like a corporate entity would be like, no, you need to be in the headquarter, like, you know, 80% of the time. <laughs> so I feel like yeah. there's, a, there's a lot more flexibility yeah. on the agency side to, to make your, your, your you know, employees love what they do just by giving right. them that, that liberty. Well, guys, <laughs> what, I'm going to have to interrupt. Um, I've just had so much fun talking to you guys because there's so many people who wonder about getting to this state that you guys are at, getting to this point of having built an agency. So really appreciate that you guys have shared the inside take on what it's been like to be on this journey. Uh, and I, I appreciate your feedback and your insights. And I'm sure everybody can reach out to you. Um, if you can share your contact information on the side, that would be great. Um, thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation and learned from the different perspectives of these four design pioneers. Change can be intimidating. However, as Lewis Alt said, companies have to be ready to change themselves more constantly. And as design leaders, we are the agents of change. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and colleagues so they too can approach change with a goal for success. Goodbye and talk to you next week.